Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I am your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. Thank you for tuning in. And whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you're in the right place. My guest this episode returns after his first appearance in episode 11 of the Elevate Podcast. He is currently now the mental performance coach at Exos in Phoenix, Arizona. He recently released his new book, Team Building Activities for Athletes. Welcome back to the Elevate Podcast, James Leith. you doing it's good to have your back i think you're only the third return guest and i think you were well over 100 episodes ago so it's glad to have you back man you've had 100 episodes since me i think so yeah Yeah. let's go yeah this is like episode 120 something so we're 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 getting up there and uh life has uh changed and uh i guess to start tell us a bit what you got going on exos and what you're doing there yeah, man. I'm so I'm at Exos in Phoenix, Arizona. I just moved here about six months ago. Took a job as a, a mental performance coach for a program called the Game Changer, and so it's it's very similar to everything I've ever taught athletes, and uh, it, it but it's focused on corporate America. So the same ideas on sports psychology and leadership development, communication, relationships, all that stuff. It's still uh, applicable, but it's in the business world. And sure. so it's it's been a lot of fun and the transition's been super easy. Yeah. Well, great to hear. And uh I know you uh I think we both spent some time coaching the football during the pandemic. Is that right? Yeah. Got yeah. back into a little bit on the some sidelines. Got a uh, yeah. yeah, man. It was good. I was in Texas, and so it was always a dream of mine as a coach to coach t- Texas high school football. Yeah. And I was at Trinity Christian Academy, uh the program got a new coach and was looking for a receivers coach and a, you know, like a character leadership type guy. But he, he, I mean, he brought so much with him. The coach before him was Mike Singletary of uh, the NFL. And so yeah. um, it was interesting to see how he went through stuff and a lot of the staff stayed. And so uh, it, it was, it was a phenomenal experience. Uh, Steve Hayes is the head coach there and uh, has become one of my favorite mentors of all time. The line coach, a guy named Clint Schumacher, which would be an excellent guest, to be honest. Right. Um, he uh, just hanging out with those guys. It was it was a great experience. Uh, but I mean, we had the masks on for the first couple games, you know, so it was like that. But then it was interesting because it was in Texas. I remember we, it was like fourth or fifth game of the season, 2020 or yeah, going 2020. And we get into East Texas and we walk into this barbecue pit. And we have our masks on. As soon as we walk in, it's like, excuse me, can you take your masks off? We're like, oh, okay. Like we took them off right away. You know, they got guns out there. So you don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> so we did that. And yeah. um, we we had a good season. And I, I was I was sad to to leave them, but it was, you know, it was time. So now I'm yeah. in Phoenix. Always uh, enriching when you get to spend some more time with the kids on the sidelines for sure. Oh, uh, I know when I spend time with, with kids and – 
doing leadership stuff when I do activities and a lot of listeners probably know, I probably learned them from James and he's got a great new book <laughs> out. Um, you know, he's, he's always been one of my go-to people to, to learn how to interact and engage with kids and get them to really think. But at first, congrats on the book. What, what are you most excited about the book coming out? Oh gosh. I mean, it, it's something that I, writing a book has been something that I've wanted to do ever since my English teacher told me I was an idiot in high school. And uh, you're just like, okay, well, you know, it took me 25 years. Uh, but what's interesting is, bro, it, it only took a couple days to write the book yeah. after 20 years. So it was like 20 years and three days. So that was, that was basically it. Cause all these activities I did when I was at IMG, when I was growing up as a, as an athlete, as a, you know, Christian camps type stuff, there's all these things like, these activities, I just noticed that it was the bonding part of any situation. And once you get to know somebody through the use of, you know, games and inside jokes, you're just, you're, you're bonded in, in a better way. Yeah. And I first used a game. Let's see. I was, I was at right out of college. I was playing semi-pro football and it was halfway through practice. And my coach came up to, I was a quarterback. My coach came up to me. He's like, Hey, Practice is not going well. I need you to do something with these guys. So we're all at the at the water trough. And I was like, hey, guys, uh, I got an idea. Now, backstory, a few weeks before that, I went to an improv performance and I got pulled up on stage. Mm. And after our game, I went to sit down. They were like, do you want to stay? I was like, okay, cool. And I actually, I ended up staying for like three years. So it was, <laughs> I had no improv training, whatever. <laughs> But I get to practice a couple weeks later and I go, hey, guys, we're going to play a game and we play this game called Zip Zap Zop, which is in the book. And the whole demeanor of the practice changed all the we were laughing, having a good time, came back from water. We're like, all right, coach. And we did all this stuff after the practice. Coach was like, what did you do? So I started explaining. I'm like, all right. So there's one guy. He's got the zip. Another guy's got the zop. And he's like, stop. I don't care. Just do it again tomorrow. And so I started doing improv games in the middle of practice and it changed everything. So I'm like, I'm, there's something here. So then I started doing it as a coach. 25 years later, I've been doing it all the time. Every time someone does rock, paper, scissors, cheerleader, I get a text message about it or a Twitter tag or an Instagram DM. I don't know how I became the unofficial person for rock, paper, scissors, cheerleader, but for sure. it's been it's been really cool. And uh, I think you talk about it a little bit in the book. And I think it's... Uh a dynamic I wanted to ask you about because you talk about how the importance of having inside jokes and, and I love it. I think there's some great experiences and stories you share there, but can you also talk about, I think we've probably also seen teams that have maybe a, a clowning culture and they, they think it's unity. They think it's team building, but it's really a divisive clowning culture. Can you talk about the difference of what having inside jokes that build teams and the difference between that clowning culture that we can sometimes see on, some adolescent boys teams? Well, that might be the best question I've got since I've published the book. Well done. <laughs> that was a fantastic question. You're absolutely right. Because uh, when you are clowning somebody, you're doing it to make them feel bad. You're doing it to make yourself feel better. When you are on stage with somebody, you and I are on stage and we are making up a situation and everybody's watching us. If we succeed it's because each person was trying to make the other person look good 
If we fail, then somebody was going for the cheap joke. Somebody rejected an offering. Somebody did something that just ended the story. And so when you can put two athletes on stage and metaphorically, it can be in a locker room, it can be out in the field, whatever, in the pool. And they're trying to make each other look good by setting each other up in these, these games. It carries out into the field where it's like, I want you to succeed. And we're, we may be in competition for a starting job, but we're on the same team. And when it comes to inside jokes, the best example I can give you is purple duck. I was at IMG Academy. I was working with the 15 year old girls and we played this game called one word story. And we're sitting in the locker room and they're going around the locker with uh, saying, telling a story one word at a time. And someone said purple and the next person said duck. And for some reason, I don't know to this day, the girls were dying. They thought that was the funniest thing. And I'm sitting here like, what is going on? Like, what? okay. And so the next day, because we ended the story and they went to practice the next day I'm at a game. One of their best players gets tackled. You know, you're not supposed to get tackled in soccer. She got tackled. Yeah. She gets up and I'm thinking this is red card at the best case scenario. She's going to try to ruin this girl's weekend. And as she starts running towards this girl that obviously fouled her, one of the girls Tate from the bench goes purple duck. And you saw this girl stop, look at Tate, smile, and then turn around. And I was like, that is, that's it right there. Yeah. That the all, the, all that work we did the day before was for that moment right there. And then it became the inside joke. You know, people would, they did something good. They'd become a purple duck, you know? And so when you have things like that, it really does uh, change the dynamic of a team where you are focusing on the good of your teammates. And when you fail, everybody laughs with you and at you but also with you. And so it's, it's not that big of a deal. So you can create a culture of fun and, and good times and you don't have to be sarcastic and you don't have to be condescending and all these things that our coaches were to us because their coaches were to them. You don't have to keep that going. And so you don't need a bully culture in order to be successful. What you need is a bunch of athletes who are childlike, not childish, but childlike. Yeah. And that will change everything. Yeah, I just started watching that uh, golf Netflix, whatever, full swing mm-hmm. last night. And Ian Poulter is like 40 some years old and he's very childish. <laughs> you know, yeah. in his, and there's a difference, right? Because you yeah. want to be childlike. You play the best. Yeah. Having fun. And yeah. He's totally. got that. He's got that. I think healthy, but maybe I said it wrong. He's childlike in his play. He's very playful. Um, yeah. But uh, and that's huge. You I, need I that. Another thing I love about the different activities uh, is how you group them. And I think, you know, I think one section I think is always important. And as you transition from, especially student athletes from kind of the school day to, to practice um, is that interrupt section. Um, and I think, you know, doing some interrupt games at the beginning of practice can sometimes be beneficial. Can you talk a little bit about why that interruption, that fun, that game, that difference maker can be a good transition before practice? Yeah. Yeah. You know, your, your athletes been at school all day. They've been sitting at a desk. They've been going through the drama of relationships and teachers they don't like and family issues. And are we friends? Are we more than friends? Like all this stuff. And that can like really emotionally and physically drain uh, an athlete and they get to you and you just think, Oh yeah, no, you're, now you're just going to be playing a sport and you should be all in. It's like, that's not it. If, 
you've ever coached at any level, you know that you can get 30 or 40 minutes into a practice and you can realize that things aren't going well. And you can, you have two two choices. You can get really angry. You can get mad and be like, you guys, this is ridiculous. You should be ready. Or you can remind yourself that these are freaking kids, not many adults. And they don't sit around the classroom thinking about soccer all day, football all day, baseball all day. Some might, not everybody. That's why you have all-star teams. Those people are thinking about it all day. So you interrupt that pattern of just listening passively, looking up at the coach, and you remind them that, hey, we're, we're kids. We're playing a game. And you let them get that stuff out. And then you start practice. I was a first grade teacher during the pandemic as well. And we, it was raining like five or six days in a row. And the T and the principal was like, no recess. Mm. Cause we can't all be on the field together because of COVID or whatever. And it was raining. So the kids are inside all day and behavior issues go through the roof. Yeah. Except in my class, because <laughs> we continue to do recess. And in fact, I would have two or three recesses throughout the day because if you give them that that time to get out their stuff and, you know, and it's not just kids, dogs, if you leave a dog in the house all day, they're going to tear things up. They need to get out and run around and do all this kind of stuff. And you come home and you get mad because the dog just tore up the trash. It's like, but you didn't even walk them in the morning. You just put them outside. Like, so there, we all need recess. We all need this reset, this, this kind of shaking of like, hey, you're no longer in a boring classroom. Now it's time to play. Yeah. And so you do these little fun games where you make them thinking, you know, sorts and mingles and you have them running around lining up and alien cows and bears are running around. And it seems so silly. But if you take five minutes, the, you, then now you're ready for practice. Yeah. You're ready to go. And the yeah. kids are like, yes, let's go. I know I love that you address this in the book because I've experienced it here and there as well. But uh, you're playing some of these games you talk about. They sound a little silly, my friend. You're wasting my practice time, James. Uh, you know, these uh, whether it's a coach setting or student athletes and someone just says, you know, why are you spending five minutes doing this versus X, Y, Z? What's your response? Well, uh, it's pretty simple. If you don't address... Um, if you don't allow for them to be a little bit silly, they're going to cause problems. And so I can, I'll tell a parent, I'll be like, look, you have employed me to teach your kid certain skills in this sport in order for them to be psychologically prepared and ready to soak this stuff in. I need to remind them that it's okay to have fun. And so we're going to be a little silly for five minutes, because if we're not, we're going to waste 45 minutes. I'm going to kick somebody out of practice because they're being a jerk. And now we have one less person. And now I got to think about, okay, they missed half a practice. So now I can't play them in the game as much. And you have all these other things, but it's like, if I could just get five or 10 minutes at the beginning of practice, and I've done this from eight-year-olds to the Chicago Bulls, like it's, there, there's no different in, in them needing to just be playful. Uh, and, but like parents are always going to complain. They don't know what you're doing. So you address it at the beginning of, of the season. Be like, hey, you're going to see some unorthodox things. It's because I understand kids. I understand that they need to be silly and that we need to do things in order to have a solid 90 minutes of practice. I need to subtract five from that. So that way we can have a solid 85 minutes of practice. Yeah. 
instead of 40 minutes of crap, 20 minutes of we're running idiots. Like you're not (laughs) doing good. And it's like, hold on, hold on. Is it the kid's fault or is it your fault as the coach, your inability to understand that children need to play? That's, that's the bigger issue. Most of the time when coaches get frustrated at their athletes, they're frustrated at their self at not being able to explain what they need to do. Sure. If you treat every kid exactly the same, you're doing your team a huge disservice. Some kids need a little bit more sugar because they got a lot of crap at home. Some kids need a lot of crap from you as a coach because it's too easy at home. You can't treat everybody the same. If yeah. you do, you're missing an opportunity to be influential. Well, that you brought that up because I think that uh, relationship dynamics, right? How do we figure out what's different, right? Mm-hmm. And I think um, the games are all fun. I think you also, in knowing you for a long time, you are a great asker of questions. And I think, you know, your book prompts some, but uh, what are some ways that, you know, coaches or maybe I think sometimes we hear that, well, I get it, James. I want to treat them different, but I don't understand them. What are some maybe questions that pop into mind that they could enter into conversation with an athlete to get a better grasp on who they are? Oh man, that's a good question. I think it's less about asking questions and more about creating a psychologically safe environment for the kid to look at the coach as more than just the person who creates the roster and calls the plays. And so you open up this dialogue of like, how's school going? And then remembering what they say. And a few days later, be like, did you finish that paper? Like, how did it go? Oh, you got an F. Do you need tutoring? So now like you're interested in the, in the student part of student athlete, not just how many times can I pass you the ball and can count on you to score. If you are interested in your players, they will do anything for you. I'll give you an example. I was sitting at a coffee shop years ago, writing a presentation for coaches. And I saw this guy who was on a first date and it, he was not going well. <laughs> like you could tell he was just bombarding this poor woman with just me, 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 and I, and this, I'm so great. You know, he's the me monster. So I'm in the bathroom and he walks in and I was just like, it's tugging at me. I was like, I gotta say something. Cause this guy doesn't see what I see. And I go, Hey man, are you on a first date? And he said, yeah. How'd you know? And I was like, well, you know, I was just watching y'all. I'm sitting next to you. I go, how do you think it's going? And he's like, good. I was like, no, it's not, it's, it's not going good. And he kind of like bowed up and I was like, bro, put your shoulders away. <laughs> like, I, that's not what this is. Like yeah. I'm a coach, like I teach communication and I just, I have a question for you. How many questions have you asked her? And he's like, I'm, I've been asking questions. And I go, tell me what, what have you asked? And that's when he like put his chest away and he's like, yeah, you're right. Oh my gosh. I go, bro, listen, you don't know me from Adam, but I can tell you this. She said yes to you because you're interesting. The whole coffee shop knows you're interesting. We've all (laughs) heard the stories, but she's going to say yes to the second date because you're interested in her. And he was like, oh man, what should I do? And I was like, well, I think you can save it. You know, you didn't ask me, but if you go and you sit down and you go, Hey, I'm sorry. I've monopolized the conversation. I'm very nervous. Um, I'd like, uh, I'd like to start over. He goes, okay. Okay. So I go sit down and he goes, sit down. I, I got my headphones on, but I can hear. And he says verbatim, he goes, I'm really sorry. I feel like I've monopolized the conversation and I'm very nervous. Can we start over? 
And she was like, sure. And he goes, what were you like in high school? And I was like, yes. Turn my music on. Half an hour later, I look up and they're gone. And he comes over to me and he taps me on the shoulder and he's like, bro, I got a second date. I'm like, that's amazing. He's like, you're so right. Like if you're interested in the other person, that that's a way better conversation than me just like trying to impress her with stuff. And so we can take that story as coaches. And the more you get to know your athletes, the more you'll understand why they're late, why they crumble under pressure, why you can always count on them to, you know, make the right guy. You understand them. And so you can put them in places to make them more successful. If you just look at their 40 time and how high they can jump and how whatever, like, okay, there's so much more to the athlete than their ability on the field. Because if you, if you don't have their mindset and you don't understand why they do the things they do, then you're going to be just confused and frustrated and like, Oh, Oh, why does he always do that? You know, she always, I can't count on her. And it's like, hold on, let's figure out why let's ask some questions, get to know them a little bit and you'll know why. I love that story. I, I, I caught in the second half of that story. I wanted to bring up a topic, but he admitted to the girl, he was nervous, right? He stepped into maybe that out of the bravado and into the vulnerability a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about why vulnerability is important in leadership in one and maybe two displaying it as a coach, how it can further our trust? Yeah, no, I think that's a good question. Cause like Tyler, you and I growing up, there wasn't a whole lot. There wasn't an internet, you know, like you, you can go to the library and get some VHSs or something. It was easier to trick people. Kids these days have access to everything on their phone. And so they can sniff out someone who's being inauthentic a lot faster than you and I could when we were growing yeah, up. No doubt. And like, so if you can show up for the kids and you can show up not just as coach, but as somebody who cares, then that opens up a whole different avenue of trust for them. And, you know, like I'll give you an example. To, to communicate better with your athletes, some very simple things you can do. Number one, take off your sunglasses. Like that's it. Like just literally take your sunglasses off, let them see your eyes. That's that, that right there can change a conversation. One, because they can see your eyes Two, because they're not staring at themselves in your sunglasses. (laughs) Number two, where's the sun? Like if the sun is behind you and you're trying to talk to a group of athletes, Don't get mad at them for not looking at you. They're literally looking into the sun. Yeah. Also is the girl soccer team behind you. Now your boys are not paying attention. Like being aware of this kind of stuff changes everything. Get down on a knee, get down on their level. Yeah. Yeah. Take your glasses off. How are you doing? Yeah. Are you okay? Right. And now they're just like, Oh my gosh, coach cares about me. Yep. And so now when coach takes you out of the game, Instead of them going, F you, coach, they're like, coach, what, what happened? What, what's going on? And you can be like, listen, you're in a different headspace right now. I need you to go to get some water. I need you to get yourself right because I need you back in there. But I don't know what you're going through, but I, I, I need I need you to perform. And, you know, and you can have these kind of conversations because sure. they trust you, you know. And then also, which a rule I just broke is keep your answers to less than two minutes. <laughs> because... People aren't paying attention. The kids are busy. Like their phone is here. Their watch is going off and, you know, they're thinking about something else and they got a project due on Friday and just keep your answers short. And if you do these kind of things, uh, the the athletes will respond in a way that, uh, you know, I don't think I was always 
the most knowledgeable coach, but I think why I found so much success is because I knew my athletes mm-hmm. and I know this guy, if I'm coaching football, I need to put him on a, in a certain position because he only needs two choices and I can applaud him either way. If he, if he goes left and he misses, Hey, you made a decision. If you go right and you make it, Hey, you made the play. And that's just that person. So I'm okay with putting that in position. And I, now they know that I trust them. So there's other ways to, you know, really get to know your players. And I think that they just, they will sniff you out. If you're being fake, you, you can't last long, you know, they'll know the kids will know. As we wind down and get, I'm gonna put you on the spot here for uh, some games. If I had to give you about like a 30 second clock and you had to pick about five games that you really wanted people to check out in this book, mm-hmm. what five are popping up in your head? Um, let's see. I would go with the first one. I'll go. So interrupt. I would say clumps where you need to get your athletes in a certain amount of groups. Like, let's say you need them in, in uh, groups of three. So you just go, okay, y'all have three sec or five seconds to get in groups of 10. And then they all, they scramble around. And then you're like, all right, you got to go with different people, but I need you in groups of five and then get in groups of five. And then you're like, all right, get in groups of three with different people. And they're running around, they're grabbing each other. They're pushing each other. They're having fun. They're like, come over here, join us. Like, get out of here, get out of here. Now you have groups of three. Now do your drill. That's that's a perfect one. Yeah. Let's see. Section two, talk. I would say we, me, you, which would be uh, at the end of practice, you get your 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 student athletes in a, in a circle and you say, okay, Tyler, what's something that we all did good? And you'd be like, you know, we really hustled, we did a great job working together. Okay, cool. Uh, Alex, what's something you did good? He's like, well, you know, I didn't cheat on any of the sprints and I, you know, I, I went all out. And then you'd be like, all right, Sean, what's something somebody else did? And they have to pick someone up and be like, um, Tony uh, got a PR in the lift this morning. And so you're, you're enabling them and empowering them to actually cheer for each other, you know, and notice the good things, yeah. notice the bad things. Section three grow would be maybe 20 count. We got them all laid out on the ground. I think we've done this before. We did this, I think, in a, a way of champions a few years ago. Um, but you get them all laying down and you have them count to 20 and you don't know the order. And so it causes some anxiety and they have to find their voice. And if they say a number at the same time, then you have to start over. So you have to get over failure. And, and that's a fun one. Um, the entertain section, section four, I would say one word story which is you got to be creative. You got to listen. You got to add to it. It's the improv type thing where you're, you know, the yes and ideas. And then section five of hype. I mean, zoom, which is straight out of Fresno state, me being an athlete, going to parties, playing drinking games. Like (laughs) it's from there, but it's such a fun game because you you're yelling, you're like zoom, zoom. And you're just going around in the circle and there's, you know, you, you got to react really quickly and, and it's, you're laughing together. And so you create these environment and, and all the, all the activities, all 52 of them have some element of entertainment sure. of getting to know each other. But that was, that was five um, that I think would, 
be a lot of a lot of fun. So I can, you know what? I'll write those down and I'll create a a PDF for uh, the listeners. Cool. Well, the book. Spot. We'll have the book linked up here as well. Yeah. And uh, I guess one thing I, I always wanted to ask you too. I think uh, as I've known you for a long time, I've always thought of you as a uh, a very grateful person. You know, and I think for challenges, good, bad, and uh, I know you you've talked about gratitude with teams. How do you see the role of gratitude and the role it can play when it comes to creating a, a team culture? I think that, uh, you know, we, it's hard to be anything negative when you're in a grateful state. When you're thinking about what you're thankful for, what you have gratitude for, it's hard to also be frustrated about somebody or have anxiety about something. And you can, you can have this attitude of gratitude is, is what, what people call it, or this gratitude practice where at the end of practice, you'll think about and write down three things that you're thankful for, because otherwise the, even, I mean, there was this, there was a game a few years ago. Uh, I think it was Eli Manning, Drew Brees. And like Eli had the game of his life. I think he threw for like six touchdowns. It was a Monday night game. Okay. But Drew Brees threw for seven touchdowns. <laughs> like, and so like Eli had the game of his life and lost. Yeah. And it's like, you can go to the locker room and be like really bummed. Or you can be like, well, we lost. But I also showed up for my team. I did everything I could in order to put our team in a, in a good place. And so when you think about the good the things that are going well, you can get through the things that aren't going well a little bit easier. And you, you start looking for the good, you start finding more good. You can get better at looking for the good. You can also get better at looking for the bad. You know, negativity is a steep slope or is a slippery slope. Um, positivity, it's more of a climb. Yeah. I've never said that before, but I kind of like that. It, that was, it's, that's negativity is a, a slippery slope. Positivity is a climb. And, and that's just because most people default to the negative. It, it yeah. strikes our psyche a lot sharper than the good things. You know, we remember the heartaches over the times we fell in love. We remember the, um, the getting fired over the getting promoted, you know, like it's just, you have to be very intentional about celebrating the good things and remembering them. <laughs>